And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Chris Honeywell. It's Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 46. I'm here with Andrew Leyland. It's a party atmosphere because it's a fight to the death episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. It's a mock time, man. That was the best musical intro sting you have ever done. It's it's the melodica, baby. You can play anything on it. Fantastic. I loved that. Uh, you can do it sensitive. This is the... Oh, shit. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I was just going to do some acting now. as well. <laughs> Kill Spock? That's not what I came to Vulcan for, Bones. <laughs> you didn't sound as much like a cowboy in that one, though. It's good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so as you know, as we announced last time, um, it's a it's a muck time, and, and if, if you don't know you're a muck time, this, I mean, in the annals of 
Star Trek episodes. This one's up there with City on the Edge of Forever, Trouble with Tribbles. You know, name your name your, your top five favorite Star Trek episodes, and this one's probably going to show up. You've got your iconic Star Trek fights. You got yours. You got your music. I mean, that 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 theme. It's been in Futurama. It's just basically now the just means fight. <laughs> Time to fight. Gerald Fried apparently still gets royalty checks from that tune when it's used in other stuff. And well he should. And well he should, because it's a phenomenal score for this episode. Uh, it is, I like Scott, uh, like Chris said earlier on, not Scott. Um, I kind of invited myself on this one, didn't I? Yeah. Because... Okay. No, actually, it worked out well because Scott Gardner is well, not yeah. anywhere to be found. So. Scott's MIA in Vietnam, as we've already established. <laughs> um, but, he's like Rambo right now. He's yeah, like he's, he's hunkering down under a waterfall and sewing up a wound <laughs> on his arm. Yeah, he's eating stuff that would make a billy goat puke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's just his normal life anyway. <laughs> Are you saying that's what they serve in Fuddruckers? Um, I was just going to say, that's him That's him pulling off to, like, you know, to I don't want to know if he's pulling off. Or something. <laughs> well, <we'd... laughs> With him flopping it out earlier on, and now he's pulling off. Yeah. Is this what you get up to behind the scenes? Isn't it what we all get up to behind the scenes? <laughs> Pretty <honestly>? much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I finagled myself into this one, because not only... Is a mock time probably my all-time favorite episode of Star Trek? Full stop. It's probably in my top ten favorite episodes of television ever. It's just such a phenomenal episode on every conceivable level. This is great. Um, I don't know if I've said before. For me, Star Trek begins and ends with the original show. I like the other ones to lesser and various degrees, but. If I have to pick my top ten favourite Star Treks, they are all original episodes. And then I may do another ten from the other shows, but my top ten favourites are always original series. And specifically the first, 79, back when they were just making a TV show and they were running for their lives and week to week they were churning out something that they didn't know was going to be this good. And people weren't interested in building up their own reputation. And they weren't interested in selling this image of a a utopian society where everyone loves each other. They simply wanted to make a good science fiction television show every week. I I think Shatner might have been trying to sell his (laughs) image. Well, Shatner was just trying to pick up the the, the girls. And get as many lines as he could, yeah. Line count, yes. But in every conceivable level, this is what I think of of Star Trek. I think that the cast all look brilliant in this one. This is how I think of them. Shatner looks very trim in this one. They've got the spot look down pat by this point. Dr. McCoy's brilliant. There's only Scotty missing from this one, isn't there? Yeah, from the big, the big, the big seven. I mean, he's mentioned, but we don't actually see Mr. Scott in this one. But I, I think this is the quintessential episode of Star Trek. I really do. When you're ten years old, this is brilliant. It's got action. It's got fight. It's got an alien planet. It's got aliens in it. The characters are all brilliant. But when you're an adult, 
you're suddenly noticing the nuanced performances, particularly from Nimoy. Let's give him all the credit in the world for this one. But Shatner raises his game for this one. There is not one single over-the-top Shatner moment in this. There's moments where he, he reaches the pinnacle, yes. but he never goes <laughs> over the top in it. And the, the, the scene where they talk uh, in Spock's cabin is actually very subtle in the way Shatner plays it. But as an adult, there's stuff, there's tons of subtext in this one about friendship and relationships and even arranged marriages, if you want to read that much into it. Yeah. And there's the wonderful scene where essentially two grown men are on primetime television discussing sex. Yes. And they yes. got away with it. Well, I keep, I keep forgetting, you know, I, 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 that, I was keenly aware of that when, when I was watching it. I'm like, all right, this was the 60s. They have to approach this on tippy toes. And they, yep. uh, you know, and, you know, basically, you know, how do we communicate that if I don't drain my balls real soon, I'm going to die. <laughs> You know, and and get it get it on the air, but yep. before we get into all this draining draining Spock's balls um, talk, Captain's log, star date thirty three seventy two point seven. First officer Spock seems to be under stress. If I learn anything from you, I'll ask for it. If you don't get him to Vulcan within a week, eight days at the outside, he'll die. I await you. Who is she? My wife. <laughs> chooses the challenge. They will choose thy champion. This one. This combat is to the dead. probably read your, your synopsis I, that you've I lovingly crafted my, and prepared. My lovingly crafted synopsis. <clears throat> Amok Time aired in the USA on the 15th of September 1967 as the second season premiere, despite being the fourth or fifth episode filmed. It first aired in the UK on the 25th of November 1970. The remastered version aired on the 17th of February 2007. It was written by noted science fiction author Theodore Sturgeon, who also wrote Shore Leave, and directed by Joseph Pevney, who directed a number of the better Star Treks. Stardate 3372.7. Spock hasn't drained his Vulcan balls in some considerable time, and so he's throwing hissy fits and bowls of Vulcan plumbing soup around the ship. Kirk can't abide by this, and he asks what's wrong. Spock merely says he needs to go to Vulcan. Kirk obliges, but is informed by Starfleet that their next mission to Alter 6 has been brought up a week, so they have no time to go to Vulcan first. After Spock orders the ship to Vulcan anyway, Kirk orders Spock to tell him what's wrong. After a very uncomfortable conversation where Spock explains the Vulcan mating ritual, the Pond Fart, to Kirk of all people, Kirk's official request to be a bit late is denied. Kirk therefore goes to Vulcan anyway. On Vulcan, we learn that Spock's family is connected. Not only do they own a nice line in beachfront property, granted all property on Vulcan seems to be beachfront, but the ceremonies are officiated by high Vulcan muckety-muck, Tapau. 
Spock is now deep in the plaque tau, but is still stunned when his wife, which if this side of paradise is to believed, makes Spock a dirty cheater, who is named Tipring, who sports a lovely line in silver miniskirts from the Vulcan Summer Collection, chooses marriage or challenge, and picks Kirk as her champion. Stom, who was to be the champion of Tipring, presumably because he's seen what's underneath the silver miniskirt, protests, but Kirk accepts the challenge, partly to help out his pal, but also so he's not seen to back down in front of Tapau. The fight, however, is to the death, and it's not going well for Kirk in the oppressive Vulcan heat. McCoy asks to be allowed to give Kirk a triox compound to help him breathe, but it is to no avail, and Kirk is murdered by Spock. This snaps Spock out of the blood fever, and he demands an explanation from Tipring as McCoy beams up with Kirk's body. Tipring logically outlines that Spock is a legend amongst Vulcans, and she did not wish to be the consort of a legend, instead preferring Stom, who's a no-mark and will never amount to anything. If all, if challenged, if she challenged, Spock would dismiss her for challenging, and she would have Stom. If by some miracle Kirk won, he would not want her and dismiss her, and she would have Stom. She obviously doesn't know Kurt very well. But if Spock did not dismiss her, she would have his name and possessions. But Ston would still be there. Spock sees no logic in preferring Ston to him, but acknowledges the logic in T'Pring's statement and frees her. On the Enterprise, Spock turns himself in, but is delighted to learn that McCoy cheated and slipped Kirk a neural paralyzer. With T'Pau squaring everything with Starfleet, the Enterprise warps off to Alter 6. Everything back in its place. I I have a question. Did you watch Enterprise? Uh, I watched a couple and thought this isn't for me. There, there's the character in it. She breasts. Is what was her name? Was her was she Tapau? No, she was Tapal. Tapal. Supposed to be Tapau, but then the producers of Enterprise realized that if they used Tapau, they would have to pay Ted Sturgeon's estate money, and so oh. they changed her name. So they got the money. Oh. Because that would sort of make sense, and even the way they explained who T'Pau was would have made sense that she came up, that she could have come up in the Enterprise. So I was wondering it, because I I wasn't sure if they were saying T'Pau or T'Pau, and I was too lazy to read the credits at the end. So I figured <laughs> I'd I'd have a chance to ask you or Scott at, at this point if they were the same person. Yeah, they should have been the same person. Yeah, they, but, and uh, they would. The producers of Enterprise were so greedy. Uh, one of my rules of thumb for Star Trek shows is is there electro guitar playing? If so, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and this one's got that electro. I love do 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 with all the reverb on it. And then I, uh, uh, I love it. I love the score to this one's just fantastic. Yes. It's never been bettered by any subsequent Star Trek series. The original had fantastic scores, full stop. But I think this one is the pinnacle because, like you say, it's been parodied in so many different things, and people know what it is. Nobody can hum incidental music from the next generation. No one. Right. <laughs> Everybody knows what this is. I love that in the teaser sequence. I love how busy the corridor is. 
it's a functioning starship. Stuff's happening all the time. And I love that Kirk's busy. Picard's never busy. Right, Picard's right. Picard's around on the bridge or he's reading Shakespeare. He's and he's musing cap- somewhere, yeah. yes. Kirk's a busy man. He's got stuff to do. He's running around the ship. He's fixing things. He's helping people with the problems. He's filling in the, the funny little sheets that he had to fill in that pretty little yeoman always gave him. Uh-huh. He's a man. And it's, it's a fantastic pre-credit sequence. Because so many of the subsequent series pre-credit sequences would be nothing to do with the show. Mm-hmm. It would just be a funny little character bit. And you're like, well, what's my impetus to stay tuned in? The pre-credit sequence here is marvellous. Why, why is Spock so angry? What the hell's going on? This is What's up Spock. his ass, yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant pre-credit sequence. The dialogue in it is really well done. It's another thing you notice about the original. There is very little techno babble in the original Star Trek. Even big, heavy Scotty scenes, the, the only, they go as far as the lithium chamber, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. The, the, the dialogue here, wonderfully played by Shatner and DeForest Kelly. It's a great pre-credit sequence. Absolutely fantastic. Did lo- you watch... Oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I love all the dialogue in this. Uh, you can tell it's, ri- it's, it's written in... It's written in, cla- in Theodore Sturgeon classic sci-fi style. Yep. The, the little exchange as the little comedy relief of Chekhov and Sulu constantly switching, you know, the course of the ship. I, I mean, I could almost read that in like uh, off the page of a Theodore Sturgeon short story, you know, just there, you know, crewman A and B, you know, yeah. just having a sort of little funny back and forth. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I love McCoy's delivery when he's, he's trying to get Kirk to listen to him that there's something wrong with Spock because he actually adopts a Spock pose he, he says it just sounds like Spock in one of his contemplated phases and McCoy says do you know what he said to me and Kirk's like no and he says you will cease to pry into my personal affairs doctor I will certainly break your neck and DeForest Kelly does a passable impersonation of Spock yeah. he stands up straight and pushes his shoulders back and stands like that ramrod straight way that Nimoy would stand it's a really effective pre-credit sequence. I love it. I love this opening teaser. Did you watch the remastered version? Yes, I did. I've, this is the first time I've watched a remastered version in headphones. Um, have they re-recorded the opening credit theme? I think they did. Because it, it sounds very stereo. stereo, but it doesn't just sound 60s stereo, you know, like a Beatles album would. Yes, it, it sounds it sounds surround sound. Yeah, and you can't just do that. You ju- can't just take the original recordings and doctor them up like that and have it sound not doctored up. So I think, yeah, they did. I think they recorded that over again. Because otherwise, the only real difference was just the, you know, digital matte painting of the stadium being on top of a giant pillar. Oh, yeah. And did that you was not awesome. It well done. They've taken out what essentially in the original show was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to Vulcan. And in the original show, you just see them walking across like a deserty type set. And they've took all of that sequence out and replaced it with a huge panoramic shot of the stadium, essentially, on top of this big outcrop in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's beautifully done. It's everything you wanted the prequels to be when George said he's going to tinker around with right. Star Wars. Iron Jedi. Right, with a Vulcan city in the background. But then when you get in there, the way they'd set up the set originally um, has 
mountains in the distance. Yeah. So once you're in there, it all makes sense. It, it feels like that space. So they did an excellent job. It's really been done by people who are paying attention to what the script is saying that they just couldn't afford to do in 1967. It's, it's, they've done a phenomenal job with it. I was not on board when I first heard they were going to remaster Star Trek. I was fine with them HD in it because it was shot on. Was it 16mm film Star Trek? I'm not sure. I, 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 it may have been 35mm. I was thinking because it may have been 35mm, but it was shot on film. Yes. So HD in it wasn't, wasn't much trouble for them. But the problem that they had was all the special effects. They would have to find all the individual elements, clean them all up, and then put them back together. And obviously they don't exist anymore. Once they've cut them together to make the special effects shot, they threw them away. Yeah, they never kept that they, stuff. Yeah, never kept any of that. So when they made the decision that they were remastering the special effects, I was instantly, oh God, this is going to be terrible. And slowly they won me over. And then I saw this one, and they've just done such a good job with it. It's fan It looks really good on a proper big screen. So for something that's nearly, what, nearly 50 years old... To stand up so well and it doesn't just... beat you over the head with it and no. it doesn't look out of place either no nope. nope. they've just they've essentially they just replaced the shots in a way that you think they would have done if they had the money available to them 45 years ago and they've done a great job with it. it's absolutely fantastic there's a couple of lovely little continuity things in here that i wanted to, to ask you about kirk actually says to spock in all the years that i've known you and this isn't the first time in the original that you'll get the impression that this isn't the second year of the five-year mission. Right, right. If you watch Where No Man Has Gone Before, the pilot episode, as far as we're concerned, Dr. Dana says to Spock, this is a man you've known for years, referring to Gary Mitchell, implying that either Spock was in the academy with them, which we will find out in the menagerie is not true, or they have been serving together on the Enterprise for years. So I've always been in the opinion that all this Star Trek chronology stuff is wrong. Just because it was the first episode, or in this case, the first episode of the second season, there's dialogue in various different episodes to, to imply that they've been working together a lot longer than that. Thoughts? I think... It wasn't thought out. I think it was Sturgeon just writing a piece of dialogue, you know, that these guys, you know, I mean, obviously they're best friends, so he, he, he said something that, but without thinking of the continuity of, like, how many years have they been in, you know, he, he, at this point it could, probably could have been possible that they'd gone to the Academy together or, or not. I just don't think... Uh, it was thought through in the in in the frame outside of this story, you know, when when Sturgeon when Sturgeon wrote it. Well, because there was different schools of thought in the seventies, wasn't there? That although the show was only on the earth for three years, there was a feeling that maybe we'd seen all the five year mission. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a lot of shit to happen to you in those three yeah. years. <laughs> just just because we saw a different adventure every week right. doesn't mean they had a different adventure every week. Right. We didn't see the episode where nothing happened and yeah. you know Kirk cleaned his fingernails that day. And... <laughs> we didn't see the episode where Kirk had to do his routine inspection of everybody. Right. Or right. He, had, he had to go around and fill in everybody's crew reports and all that boring stuff that he would have had to do, have done as a captain. 
but we never saw any of that. The 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 only like plot the thing the only thing that I think that didn't really work too much as far as story wise with this to me was that they didn't know about the Ponfar or you know Vulcan history you know or at least at least if you're gonna have Vulcans on, on serving on starships you probably should know that every seven years they go homicidal and need to mate you know it would... well see I was thinking about that because surely it comes under medical leave mm-hmm. and, and again there is a debate within the fan community was Spock the first Vulcan in Starfleet well he can't be because in the immunity syndrome there's a Starfleet vessel manned by Vulcans well, they also talk about Tapao being, you know, the first yeah. person to refuse. So she must have been in Starfleet too, if they're offering her a position in it. Mm, so it's maybe well, but... it's it's not a stretch that if the other vessels that have Vulcans on them in Starfleet are all manned by Vulcans, and Spock's the first Vulcan to serve on a non-Vulcan starship, which I know is never spelt out anywhere, it does make sense to me that they would keep this a secret. Because obviously, as a Vulcan, they don't want us to see them lose control like this. But at, at, the, at the same time, he would also know it's coming years ahead of time. So you'd think yes. he would have had a plan in place instead well, of where it sort of is treated like it hits him like a fever in this. You know, it's like... They, they explain that. They do actually put a line of dialogue in that at least tries to explain why he's not prepared for it. He does say that being half-human, he thought he'd be spurred in. Oh, it. yeah, you're right. So you can argue a case, though, that it did hit him like a fever, and he wasn't prepared for it, because he didn't think it would happen, not being a full Vulcan. I mean, it does beg the question as why he went through with the marriage ceremony in the first place, but maybe that was forced upon him by his parents. Because in Journey to Babel, the, the the underlying subtext is Spock did as he was told his entire life mm-hmm. until he went into Starfleet. And that's when he, he turned his back on his parents. That was his big rebellion. So you can argue that Spock wasn't expecting this to happen. Which makes sense to me. Yes. Um, Spock does... Uh... There's a, a creepy scene nowadays. Now that we have the internet, yeah. uh, you know what <laughs> no, I'm talking about, where he's he's sitting there staring at his betrothed when she was, you know, like ten years old, eight years old, or whatever, and it just had a whole kitty. Po- it's like you know, somebody the door opens and Spock sitting there looking at an eight year old girl on the screen and like uh, turns it off. That that's a bit dubious now. That yes. they they doctored that in the digital as well. Did you notice? No. In- the original episode it's just the girl photographed against a grey background and in the remastered one they've matted a Vulcan background in behind her oh okay so I didn't a nice even notice it. it was, that's nice. the thing about the remasters they do it so seamlessly and not garishly and and obviously yeah there's, there's two major plot things I noticed in this one the one I'll come to when we get to the end of the episode the other one couldn't they just send Spock in a shuttle yeah 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 <laughs> or would it have not got there quick enough? I guess shuttles aren't are, aren't warp capable. I'm I'm guessing they're probably only sublight speeds. So maybe it would have taken yeah like three months. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. a running Spock alone in a <laughs> shuttlecraft might not be a good idea. 
And here's a little sleaziness of Spock. Well, it's awesome because he's basically a horny teenager. He's yeah, starting pretty... to get he's starting to get, you know, getting a little sassy mouth and stuff and a little rebellious streak. But the pragmatic side of him still is working when when Nurse Chapel goes to tell him that they're diverting again to Vulcan and at that point he's thinking to himself, All right, there's no way I'm going to Vulcan. I gotta figure something out. He starts macking on Nurse Chapel. He's like, All right, I can mate with her, you know? And she can drain me. And she's starting to pick it up. Yeah, and she's starting to pick up on it and he's starting to call her Christine and wipe the tear off her eye and stuff. And then the second she's like, Oh yeah, we're going to Vulcan, he's just like Oh, yeah. all right. Gum. Well, <laughs> I don't need you anymore. Yeah, yeah. go make me some soup. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it's that a, soup it's... now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat something. <laughs> um, one of the things watching this now that's really weird for me, um, when the BBC originally showed these in the seventies and eighties, before they bought brand new spanky new prints, they used to re-edit the show. Because the BBC doesn't show adverts, they would re-edit it so that the pre-credit sequence was after the opening credits. So the show would always start with the opening credits, and then we'd get the pre-credit sequence, and then we'd get the actual episode. Which is always so. It's always still weird to me to this day to watch episodes of Star Trek and them have the pre-credit bit. But one particular scene in this that stuck out because I had this one on videotape and watched it thousands of times, taped off BBC One. They would trim the ad breaks. So you know we're at the end of the ad break on this one. Where it would zoom in and go, yeah. they would take that out. All of that. So instead of here, it goes, he'll die, Jim. And then you've got a dun, 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 dramatic zoom on Kirk. And then a dramatic zoom out of him when it comes out of what would have been the commercial break. And then it's, why must he die? On the BBC one, they cut straight from, he'll die, Jim, to why must he die? And it just carries on perfectly fluidly as if there hadn't been an ad break there and there's always little things like that when i watch them now on video where i'm like that's not how i remember it from being a kid so it's weird do you know what i mean i like that the bbc tried to cut them into more coherent states because we don't in america we don't even try with stuff like that you know yeah i mean there, there used to be some stations that were like ah, we don't put our commercial breaks in in those time periods, or we want to put a couple extra ones. So you would just get episodes of TV shows in reruns that would get cut in the middle of a sentence. And then, you know, Ho-Ho's and Twinkie ads would come on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right, because the the most notable one I remember is from the Paradise Syndrome. Remember there's the the fight between Kirok and the other guy. Yes. Forget his name. And a lot of that fight is repeated, isn't it, after what would be the commercial break? Right, right. The BBC cut all of that, so the fight's just one long fluid fight scene. Oh, the one thing that I wish they could have digitally fixed was the cardboard view screen. That yeah. Scott, the spot, because that's one of the thing about, it's not as much the enhanced as the additions, but when they, you know, when they cleaned them all up, stuff like that ends up looking like, you know, it's like, oh, they fashioned that view screen <laughs> out of cardboard. <laughs> Yeah, see, they're kind of limited to what they can do with actual props, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's funny, they could have at least put a little smoke in, like, you know, when, when he crushed yeah. it, but it's just, like, crumpling up a tissue paper. Yeah, when he smashes it to bits with his fist. Um, I do like that at the end of the episode, the Ponfar is still only known to Kirk and Mackay. Mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. because Pow cleans clears it all up with them, so she, she will not and, have to complain and, to Kumak. And scrubs, yeah, scrubs everything. I love well, the character. I, I used to hate T'Pau when I was a kid because she was just so unpleasant looking and stuff. And I was just but like, she's brilliant. But and I was like, ooh, she's mean. She looks like she's sucking lemons and all that. <laughs> you know, she was just and I and I took her as sort of an antagonist character. And uh, well, well, watching it now, she is sort of. But at the same time, she's just doing her. She's just officiating. She's doing what is. And then I wondered this, are ceremonies logical? Because Vulcans seem to have ceremonies and stuff like that. There's just always, and I always noticed it when a kid, there's always episodes of Vulcans doing emotional things, like Pride. Pride is an, considered an emotion, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, when Spock tells her her plan's flawlessly logic, she's just like, she's flattered. Yeah, I think she uses the word, I'm flattered, or, you know, yeah. or, or honored, or whatever, but... That's some pride right there. That's that's an emotion. Yeah. So they're not complete. Well, they've they've said before. I mean, they're not completely emotionless. They just suppress their emotions yes. because they feel they get in the way. So maybe there are some emotions that are perfectly acceptable to show. Because Spock's wonderfully egotistical line at the end, "I see no logic in preferring Ston to me," is that's ego oh. through and through, isn't it? Oh yeah, and then on top of it, on top of it, well, you, you, I mean that, and that's the thing about ego is ego disguises itself as as that as logic and like, yeah, of course I'm great. I've intellectually broken myself down, and I'm awesome. You know, I mean, what what's <laughs> up with Stan? You know, he's basically he's working a Vulcan Pizza Hut right now. You know, come on. Come well, there's on. a line Stan. in the James Blitch. The James Blish adaptation, actually, there's a line in this, in the end of this that isn't in the episode, where she says Ston's easy to control. Mm. She actually comes out and says that's why she prefers him, because Spock obviously has a mind of his own, which there's an awful lot of dubious Vulcan sexuality in this one then, isn't there? With yeah, yeah. regards to the relationship with women. Oh, and Vulcan then... women are considered property. And then, and then, and then, and then another, well, you know, with Spock, he's, you know, he's half human, so you, it's those those little displays of human fuck you -edness. he gives he gives Stan the great fuck you in this one where he's just like oh oh by the way Stan sometimes the wanting's better than the having haha <laughs> well yeah. think about that all right see you later Stan <laughs> see you later sucker yeah yeah have fun have fun dude I had I because I I never noticed that in the original show but I actually had a, a moment with that with like an ex-girlfriend and her boyfriend like coming up to me going, what do I do? And I'm like, uh, have fun, man. <laughs> All yours. You know, and they'll say I didn't warn you. And, 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 and Spock was also planting a nice little seed of dissent into, into Stan, you know, for years down the line when, when he finally has her, Spock was right. <laughs> well, I don't, again, I don't know if we ever saw these two in, in any of the ancillary books or anything. If we ever saw Tapring and Ston ever again, because uh, Ston, the actor, was in Balance of Terror playing a Romulan. So I do wonder if the the they got guys who they knew looked okay at the Vulcaneers. You see, we had more space sexism in this too, where yeah, where you know I have a feeling that half the reason Kirk and McCoy wanted to go down there is they wanted to get a good look at uh, Tapring. And well, uh, I mean, hot. even even uh, well, that's I mean that, and that's another thing is, is okay, we're, whatever. We're in the future, right? Aren't we supposed to be past, you know, judging people by their looks? And that that's the first like, um, 
um, Uhura gets all like goopy and like, oh, Spock, she's beautiful. And, and, you know, it's like, well, yeah, she could also be a totally manipulative, evil, you know, bitch, but she's beautiful. She you lucky. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly what she is. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't know if we were supposed to think that was her personality or if that was just a Vulcan, that was Vulcan logic taken to an extreme or, or whatever. You know, it, uh, I mean, obviously on a just basic Star Trek story level, they couldn't have Spock with a wife out there, so they had to had to result, you know, have it all tidied up by the end. Yeah, because going by this side of paradise, Spock's already been cheating on T'Pring. Mm-hmm. Well, T'Pring has been, it seems like T'Pring's been doing a little cheating herself, too, you know? Yeah, so it works both ways. But if you go in Stardate order, this side of paradise is directly after a mock time. I can't believe I knew that. Oh, so he so was that, okay. That, that actually makes sense then, doesn't it? He's just got jilted. He's on the rebound. And, and then on the next one, he meets up with Lila Kimone, and everything's like, hey, well, I'm not married anymore. Jesus, he's on a hormonal roller coaster ride, too, in, uh, in both these episodes, you know, right back to back, basically. Yeah. Again, another thing watching th this time, I was really impressed with how they do set up the ending early on. Because if you watch from the minute they beam down to Vulcan, Kirk sweats constantly. And the setting up that he can't breathe in the Vulcan atmosphere. McCoy doesn't seem to be struggling. Well, that I, that that might have been what toned down Shatner a lot in that scene, you know? I'll, yeah. But I'll, I'll have to say this. Their fight is... Star Trek fights are always awesome. This is one of just the most awesome fights it's fantastic, Be isn't it? It's the most memorable part of the episode, and yet it doesn't start until 39 minutes mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. It's not a long one by any stretch of the imagine it, but it's so memorable, so very well choreographed. Well, I love it because you have all these shots of Spock fully, you know, not even aware of himself, just sitting there with bloodlust in his eyes. And it's just that great atmosphere of dread with, with where you're like, come on, Kirk, figure it out. Because Kirk's sitting there just like, yeah, I'll go a few rounds with him. This will be fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, a... he, and he freely admits there's ego involved, which I liked. Because he's like, I can't back down in front of her. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit of politics involved, too. And, yeah. And, and you would think for, for all the, like, outside, you know, outsiders and then you've chosen your friends well... And all that, you'd think that the Vulcans, to be fair, would tell him that it's a fight to the death. To, I mean, that's a dick move yes. to to like <laughs> let him enter into it and then walk away and go. Oh, by the way, no, it's a fight to the death. One of you is gonna you, die. You'd think that, that that would have been mentioned somewhere along the line, which does lead me to the the one logic hole that I had in the whole episode. It's a fight to the death. And she lays out at the end, T'Pring explains to Spock her plan, and she obviously can think on her feet, because her plan originally wouldn't have allowed for Kirk being there. So I'll give her props for that. She can think on her feet and adapt to situations. But she says at the end, if you had won, I would have your name and your property, but you would be gone, and Ston would still be there. How? It's a fight to the death! Spock would have killed him! Ha <laughs> ha, you're right. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute, T'Pring. You're not flawlessly logical at all then, are you? And neither is Spock, because he didn't catch it. 
Spock didn't catch that But then either. again, he's recovering from Pond Far, so, and he thought he just killed his captain, so he was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, good yeah. logic. Good logic. He was happy to be rid of her after that, wasn't he? Yeah, well, Let's be well, he was getting ready. He was mentally preparing to sit in the gulag for, you know, in Starfleet <laughs> prison for the rest of his life. Yeah, so he was very, yeah, whatever. Ston, you can have her. I don't want to. I don't want your sloppy second. <laughs> I do like the idea as well that Spock's family own the arena and rent it out to other Vulcans. That's a nice little cash cow farm, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like having a Christmas tree farm. You know that's not good. You know, you know business is going to be regular there. Yeah, and I, li I love the idea that the Grateful Dead may be still tour and they go and play in that arena on Vulcan. It's like Red Rocks, man. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. The special effects, the new special effects. Did you notice there's a night side and a day side to Vulcan as well? Yes. Which I thought was lovely. I thought it was a lovely little special effects touch. Well, that's the thing about it. They're all little touches. You know, every once in a while you get something, you know, where it's more of a grand picture like like the arena in this one. But it's always done well. It's always, you, you, get the, you get the idea that, like, they could possibly, although I doubt they did... But they could possibly have gone through an episode and gone, ah, we really don't have to do much in this except maybe tweak a little color here and there, you know. You get a, mm. a, an idea that they're not setting out to to change anything. They're just setting out to, like, just to make it a little more fluid in t today's context. Maybe, you know, I I like it because for one of the big reasons is because it does probably make it a little more palatable to younger people. When they're watching it, they're, they're, it doesn't give them as much opportunities to uh, lose their, you know, lose the reality of it with a really bad matte painting or a flat matte painting or something that just, you know, was a, a bad special effect of its time that you couldn't avoid. But at the same time, maintaining the whole feel of it and the cheesy aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, a large slice of cheese was always part of Star Trek's yeah. appeal. Yeah. I'm not somebody who thinks that you, there's nothing wrong with a bit of cheese. And I did read somewhere once, I forget where it was, that, that Star Trek is a very difficult show to write for in any incarnation because it's part Shakespeare, part melodrama, part science fiction, part cheese. Yeah. And when you get all four of those elements blended perfectly, as in this episode, you've got something that is one of the best television shows ever created. When you get the elements blended badly, you end up with The Way to Eden. Uh, yeah, or uh, Samaritan Snare. Oh, Samaritan <laughs> Snare. <Yeah. laughs> Which was just boring. Samaritan um, Snore. Yeah. Samaritan Snore. Oh, yes. Uh, Check yeah. out the Next Generation episode if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> there you go. A little plug for the other show. There's some lovely little acting touches as well. When Tipring picks Kirk, if you watch the actor playing Ston and Shatner, they're both very, what? What? What the hell? Exactly. Hey. And it's really well done. But my favourite subtle touch, if you watch McCoy, just before he goes to T'Pau and says, look, Kirk's suffering in the Vulcan heat. Can I give him to Triox Compound? You see him thinking before he says it to her. So you can see him planning what he's doing, yeah. which I thought was a fantastic performance from DeForest Kelly, because it is only something you're going to spot on subsequent viewings, that you can see his mind working, I've got to do something about this. 
and then he goes to Tapau and says all his gubbins about is this fucking chivalry. I I can't believe that they let him give him Triox compound because, you know, earlier on he's like, hey, look, you know, the, he, he can't compete in this air. She's like, the air is the air. You know, this is what. Yeah, it... It... I love I love the way she says human. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a huge insult. Uh huh. It is. <laughs> Space racism. Spacism. Spacism and, comes back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. If I was a Vulcan, I'd get sick of humans pretty quick, especially <laughs> by ne- next generation. By next generation, they're insufferable. At least you know, the Kirks of the Kirk type humans are like a scruffy little playful dog or something. You know, they're kind of fun <laughs> and and exciting. Yeah, Kirk's got a bit of humility. Right. There isn't as much pompous assery as there is further further down the line. So, you know, maybe they were looking at humans going, oh, man, you think they're bad now. (laughs) Give it it a couple of years. Yeah, when these kind of races advance, they become so pompous, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's something you've mentioned before. We might have to stick the cue on them or something because (laughs) they're just driving us nuts. (laughs) Can you imagine Q in the original? Has that not been a novel? That's Trillane, <laughs> basically. Well, yeah, basically. The, in HD, the stunt doubles are more noticeable. And I thought what was interesting, it was more noticeable that Nimoy had a stunt double than Shatner. Mm-hmm. Although Shatner did have one, he seemed to do a lot more of the fighting than Nimoy did. Shatner liked to fight. Shatner liked to do the, the, the fight scenes and the, the rolling around and stuff. And the thing is, is once he started doing it a lot, he had his own little Shatner style of doing it, of course. Yeah, so, so you could always tell when it wasn't him. Yeah, when it was a stuntman, all of a sudden you just had some sort of lumbering guy there, and then you had Shatner <laughs> dodging and weaving and stuff. Doing his, doing his tuck and roll. But I've always looked at Spock as... You know, well, Spock is supposed to be a super strong Vulcan guy, but in in reality, Nimoy's a little skinny Jewish guy from Canada, you know? He and Shatner are both, like, not big, towering guys, you know? They appear maybe more so. Shatner's a short little guy. So, yeah, I don't think... um, and, And whenever we would see Spock, you know, fighting or whatever, it would mostly be doing a neck pinch... Or just sort of grabbing people and throwing them. Mm. Not really, you know, I mean, Kirk gets him into a into a grip and down onto the ground. And if I was there watching that fight, as soon as they went down on the ground, I was like, oh, this is the end for Kirk. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because in, in terms of the logic of the show, Spock should have owned him. Yeah, Spock is just, Spock is not only Vulcan and so much stronger, he's also just in a rutting, you know, seeing red frenzy. Kirk could... Kirk could use that as to his advantage because he's lost some of maybe of his accuracy and, and logic in that. But at the same time, once they get into a clutch on the ground, the raw power, you know, Spock should have just been able to crumple him up like a piece of paper. But that is pretty... And, and, and all those weapons, you could tell, like, back in Vulcan Boy Scout camp, you know, back in the days, they trained, <laughs> you know, they sat and played with all that stuff all the while. So, and, and when they give him, I can't remember the... You know the clock clock along when they give him the 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 bolo type thing the the you know the with the weights on the end of it the swingy mm. sort of thing when they put it in Kirk's hands Kirk gives him a look of like all right what, what the, the hell, hell do I do this <laughs> <laughs> okay all right yeah all right and very quickly he learns what to do with it because Spock just starts demonstrating immediately. 
Yeah, there's lots of little, lovely little things in it like that throughout the entire episode. It's just a phenomenally well-executed show. It's well-written, it's well-acted, the, the new HD transfer is lovely, the new special effects are lovely. There is a quite notable blooper in it if you're watching it on a big screen. In the scene where Kirk and T'Pau are talking to each other, Nimoy's supposed to be in his plaque tail. But if you look over Kirk's shoulder, Nimoy's just kind of leaning back on the on the wall, looking like he's copping a sneaky fag. I was just going to say, smoking a cigarette, yeah. So whether he didn't know cameras were running, or whether it's not Nimoy, it may just be his standing. See, copping a sneaky fag means a totally different thing in America. <laughs> Ask George Michael. <laughs> well, don't go into a toilet with George Michael. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But um, bum. It's just, it's just a great one, isn't it? It's just a fantastic episode. I love playing the little game at the end as well, where you spot the the end credit stills and spot which episodes they're from. Oh, that yeah, that was that that was a, that was a favorite of Scott's and mine. The Channel Eleven ones, a lot of times, they would just cut the same ending onto it. So right, like so 80% it's, of them were the same ending. And then every once in a while you would catch one with different scenes from a different show. And it always used to mystify me when I was a kid that why they would show scenes from other shows at the end of it. I always would, was like, why aren't there just like sort of, you know, a, a slideshow of what we just watched? You know, that's what I always sort of... And sometimes they did that with, with TV shows, you know, at the end of it. You would get a freeze frame and then a little recap of what you just watched or greatest hits shot of what you just wanted. But yeah, well, there was a lot of shots from a mock time in, in the end in credits. The end credits of this one, yeah, but not all of them. And that made no, that was always weird, you know, when all of a sudden there was, you know, all of a sudden something else happened. Because happened. when I was a little kid and I watched this, I was in it 100%. You know, when, when McCoy went over there and was like, get your hands off him, I'm like, holy shit. He <laughs> killed him, you know. He's, 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 yeah. He actually the, the did. Only it thing... was, I, was, I was floored, you know. Yeah, the first time I saw it was, my, it was the only thing wrong with it is Ted Sturgeon uses exactly the same trick in the other episode he wrote. He wrote Shore Leave where McCoy gets killed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by the jouster, and it's exactly the same trick. You think they've killed off a, a regular, and then oh no, he's okay at the end. Well, he was probably just like, "Hey, I'm go- only getting a few chances to write Star Trek stories. I'm gonna kill somebody off, you know, when I can, <laughs> and see if I can get away with it." Yeah, yeah, and 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 both of those moments were bit. I mean, they they really got me when I was a kid, you know, because you you don't you don't believe that those characters are gonna die. So when it when it does happen, it's just it's shocking. Because mm. they killed Scotty off in one of them as well, mm-hmm. but he gets better. I forget which one it was. What's well, not a humans for Adonis? That one is it? Is it the apple? It might, I think it is who mourns for Adonis. Right. It's where he gets hit by a lightning bolt. Yeah. Because, oh yeah, and he gets knocked right back, doesn't yeah, he? he gets pit- which he- is a fantastic stunt. I just never, yeah. I just never buy when in any of these shows when you're on a different planet and you have a god at the people who like, I'm gonna slug you, you know. It's just you just don't do that, you know. 
it would be like, I'm gonna go punch that electrical wire over there. Because I don't <laughs> like it. That'll show it. Uh, I'm sure Topol went through the pond far in an episode of Enterprise. Which, again, is one of those things that irritates me because nobody should know about the pond far right, in right. Enterprise's time. So that's another little continuity thing that irritates me. I mean, I don't know if they know about it by the time you get to Voyager, because I think... Two, is it Tuvik? Tuvok in Voyager? I, I know there was a Vulcan named Tuvok in one of the I'm, shows. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he went through it as well in Voyager, but it could be common knowledge by the time you get to the 24th century. But certainly T'Pol going through it... I, I See, I don't remember the episode very well. I don't know if anyone else knows about it. So I don't know if it has a retcon. What's his name? Well, I do know that... Some, I don't know if it was Voyager Enterprise, but I know they were getting away with a little bit of, like, side nudity and stuff in Star Trek's towards the end. Yeah. You know, they had more characters mating with each other and, and sideways butts and boobs in bed and stuff like that. Well, she was in a relationship with Trip Tucker at some point. I think that was his name. The engineer guy. Yeah. I just can't see how dating them... I mean, the Vulcan... Don't get me wrong, the Vulcan women are hot. For the most... You know. And you could even see how T'Pau was... You'd never win an argument, and you would really only get any kind of enthusiastic sex every seven years. Now, in Nerd World, that doesn't sound so bad. That's why it flies in Star Trek, you know, because it's like sex every... I think there was a joke in in one of the Futuramas like that. Sex in every seven years, you know, that means, you know, my luck's going to triple, you know? <laughs> was that when No Fan Has Gone Before or was that a different episode? It was probably when No Fan Has Gone Before. It was one... But there's, a, there's many Star Trek jokes sprinkled throughout that whole run of, yeah, all of that show out. yeah but um yeah that's the only that's the only mythos that that whole like getting laid every seven year thing is gonna fly is in nerdville if it was you know if it was like a soap opera i'd be like what no <laughs> the vulcans would have all killed themselves by now yep but no i i, I can't other than that mine a little logic flaw into Pal, into Paul, not to Paul. I'm getting my shows mixed up now. Into Pring's argument. I, I just think this is glorious. I really do. It's up there with Mirror, Mirror, and Balance of Terror for me as one of the single best episodes they've ever done. The only episode of Next Gen that even comes close to being as good as this is yesterday's Enterprise. That's the only one I've seen. I've seen the first episode of Enterprise and the yesterday's. Or wait, not yesterday. No, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm talking out my ass. I'm thinking about the in the through a mirror darkly is. Maybe I'll have to see yesterday's Enterprise. Maybe I should see all the ones where they. Uh, well, yesterday's the Enterprise is a is a third season next gen one, so you'll get the pretty oh. soon. So, because you're you're near in the end of season two now, aren't you? Yes, we are. We're we're, we're getting but, real close. But yesterday's Enterprise isn't that far away from you. Oh, okay. I thought, uh, for some reason, I was thinking that was the... Was, was it a Voyager or Deep Space Nine where they go back to the Tribbles? To the... That's Space Nine. See, I might have to check all those out just 
because Deep, Deep Space it, Nine is actually really good in that it's a very good science fiction television series that you sometimes would go, eh, I don't think they'd have got away with that in Star Trek or The Next Generation. And if you watch it from the point of view of a good sci-fi show, you'll enjoy Deep Space Nine, particularly from when Worf comes on board. But and as they a do Star start... Trek show, maybe not yes, so much? maybe not so much. The first couple of seasons feel more Star Trek-y, and that's when it's not as good. And I think that's why Deep Space Nine was... It was the only one of the spin-offs that I watched all the way through. And the only one I can attribute that to is it's a good sci-fi show, not necessarily a good Star Trek. And I think the best thing that happened with Deep Space Nine was Next Generation went off the air and Deep Space Nine got left alone. Was Yeah, it was the only game in town. Yeah, and then they were concentrating on Voyager. So Deep Space Nine was allowed to go off and do its own thing. And if you can appreciate it as being a decent little sci-fi show off in the fringes of the Star Trek universe, and Star Trek's by and large just an irrelevance to it you'll probably enjoy it because it's certainly not as boring as voyager or i don't think it is i've never seen a one episode of voyager so not a one i've seen little chunks of it here and there you know flipping through the dials but but like i said i'll have to see them all eventually eventually them all <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think I've pretty much uh, hit all my notes on this one. Do you got any uh, any other uh, hot topics for a muck time? No, other than it's fantastic. And if you've never seen it, why are you listening to us Exactly, talk why are you even here, it? you know? And then come back. Yeah, if, if you've never, well, and hopefully if you've seen it, you're going to want to watch it again just listening to, just listening to our enthusiasm. Yeah, because it's just awesome. It's a fantastic show. It was such a chore having to watch this one again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I actually almost started watching it like five times in the last few weeks, and I kept putting it off because I was like, you know what? I want to watch it as close to when we do the show as possible, so I can just like feed off the pure fight energy <laughs> of it. <laughs> the fight scene that isn't that long. I, every time I watch this one, I'm surprised by how short that fight scene is. It's because in our memory, it's just, yeah. it's, it's so epic, you know, and it's just, it's, and for, you know, at its time, it, that was an epic fight. Now we've lived through, like, they live with, like, 15 minutes yeah. fist fight <laughs> battles and stuff like that. So we're, we're at a higher, higher level, of, maybe not a higher level, but a, you know, we're more a nerd to, to fight scenes. But I, I mean, this fight scene is—it's just so wonderfully choreographed, and 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 it actually is is like a story. You know, it, it progresses through a couple weapons, and you know, you see Kirk fight tiring out, and the and the you know and it, and it has a real struggle it's not just kirk has to defeat this person you don't want to see either of them win or lose and that just mm. makes it fantastic yeah because there are some times when kirk's in one of his his fight scenes that you 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 don't get the impression he's in in any danger right kirk's usually getting to kick ass so you get also get to see kirk getting pretty much his ass handed to him yeah this in, for in this me one. this is up there with his fight with Khan. 
one of the few times yes. that you thought actually Kirk's pretty outclassed here. He's he's yeah. But he's not afraid to go for broke. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, <laughs> see, that's he wouldn't have surrendered to the Borg. No, oh, no, no, no. Never. He, he would have just if when they beamed over to the Borg ship, he would have just started walking down the row and unplugging all the. Like, what happens if we <laughs> unplug this neck thing on there? You know, I'll bet you they die. What happens if we throw the babies out of the airlock? Yeah, exactly. Let's just start tossing these guys off the edge here. You know, one by one, since they don't seem to be paying attention to us. That. That ought to put a kink in their ship, right? <laughs> I would have left a few bombs over there, you know, or whatever, but uh, whatever. Whatever. Someday they'll CGI Kirk into some Borg story. But now, <laughs> the time has come for the Star Trek computer to get whipped out here. If I can just get the goddamn thing to work. Does the computer not get programmed to remove episodes you've already done? No. It, it, that's the thing about the Star Trek computer is it's really kind of uh, not as advanced as our computers, ironically enough. <laughs> All right. And the menus on this thing are a pain in the ass. They're actually printing out on little, pe on little cards. It's just ridiculous. Alright, there's the space ruler. There's the space tip calculator. What the hell? <laughs> there we go. Space I'm always impressed generator. that you did this for real. I'm, I'm not the only one who thought you did this in post. Oh, no, 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 dude. <laughs> they always say that when they come on the show. They're just like, but, but, but sound effects. Okay. <laughs> I have this oh. vision. You've actually got a genuine 1966 Star Trek computer. Oh, it takes room. up three quarters of our house. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it just spit just out the it just spit out the number off. zero, which is not going to work. <laughs> when you're annoyed, you crush it. Oh, okay. Sorry, I have to I have to enhance the parameters of my random number search here. <laughs> From zero to zero to zero and seventy-nine. All right. Number forty. The deadly years. Oh my God! Right on the, on the first try, we got a. You got one you've never done. We done got one we never done. That's very That's hard good. these days. We usually go through five or six of them on the random number <laughs> generator. The deadly the is deadly that the one? That's the one where they with the, old age makeup. I yeah, think. that's where they all turn old. Kurt gives his age as being about 34 years of age, I think. I don't know what I think of that one. I don't know if I'm looking forward it's, to that or not. It's alright. It's a perfectly serviceable second season episode. It's not one of the best, but it's not awful. All I remember is DeForest Kelly's old age makeup is really good. <laughs> and chomping at his lips. Huh? And he chomps at his lips all the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> Like he's got no teeth, and and it's and it's so funny that they sort of reapplied that makeup when he was back on the next generation. <laughs> you mm. know, they just aged him up a little more than he actually was, and he was <laughs> sort of looking like he did back in that that episode. And it's and Scotty stays thin, yeah. and they just make him. <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> maybe they make well, him really white. Well, who knows what the enhanced edition is going to be? Maybe they uh. Maybe they beachballed him up in post. Yeah. <laughs> One can only hope. <laughs> it makes her white. 
I mean, I mean, I mean. Unfortunately, uh, you know, um, DeFor- or not DeForest Kelly. Uh, Dames Duan is is not alive anymore, so he can't get offended if they did that. <laughs> nope, that's true. Well, we'll find out next month. Next time on an all-new episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Hey, that's pretty good. Monday, Monday, Monday. Funny cars. <laughs> We're filling the stadium with 15 feet of mud. Mud! Mud! (laughs) And are you brave enough to face a monstrosity that is Grave Digger? (laughs) Is that a big monster truck with huge wheels? It is a a big monster truck with huge wheels. That's what we want. (laughs) A huge monster truck. Do you guys have monster trucks in Britain? Yeah, yeah, we have monster truck shows. Oh, wow. I'd like to see a British monster truck show. Does it have polite applause <laughs> during it? Does it have polite applause? Because we vomit truck. and shoot guns. Yeah. That's what we do at our truck shows. I thought that's what you did at NASCAR. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Cars, trucks, whatever. They're driving. We're puking and shooting. <laughs> and drinking. It sounds like a good day out to me. <laughs> Well, come on over. We'll take you to, we'll take you to some good American NASCAR, and you can judge for yourself. <laughs> you still have Dodge Chargers. Um, sure. I'm not the right guy to ask about cars. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Cars are sports. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> well, are you gonna play out on your kazoo? Oh, that's a good idea. This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Good evening. I'm Walter Cronkite, and this is the Star Trek Monthly Monday long-distance dedication. Freaky Freaksum is on assignment. This month's dedication goes to Commander Spock on the USS Enterprise, who recently, shall we say, had a problem. Spock found himself deep in the throngs of Pond Far. Not unlike what I felt in my time in Vietnam... Wait, never mind. Spock wrote that even though he was not in full control of his emotions, he was still able to separate his intellect and set it aside and view what was going on, and it left him with a profound sense of fascination. So our dedication to you, Mr. Spock, this month is the Human League's fascination. I'm Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is on the Two True Freaks Network. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Hey, hey, hey.
you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hey, Obi-Wan, your lightsaber's showing. Take a bath, Pete. Live long and good. it, Frodo. I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. Two, two, three. Later. I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick your ass. Wow, you've gone from very fine to near mint. What a man. Size matters not. Two True Freaks, your source for the manliest nerd podcasts on the internets. Visit us at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com, Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, or just grow a pair and Google Two True Freaks like a man. We're off? Good, well that ought to hold the little bastards.